We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. How's that? All right, that sounds better. All right, cool. Well, good to see y'all. Welcome back to the Eight Black Hands podcast. Great to be here with y'all this evening. The last podcast was September, the best month of this year. Moving into October, second best month of the year. I want to do a quick round roundabout and hear how folks are are doing. How are you doing? What are you up to? And who or what are you have you been thinking about lately? How you doing? What are you up to? And who or what has been on your mind lately? All right. Yo, Ray, we're going to start with J. Crew. All right. <laughs> uh, so I'm doing well. Uh, got a chance to go out and cut my grass today. That always gives me some relaxation prior. You usually to- post that. Yo. I don't think. Did you post that today? Nah, not yet. Not yet. Not okay. yet. Give myself right. a little time. Yeah. Um, so you said, how are we doing? How you doing? What are you up to? Yeah, so so this show, man, this show is going to be a phenomenal show uh, in the sense that uh, it's touching on some things that we don't normally touch upon. And, you know, it's bringing light to some things, some, some issues that we definitely need to discuss. Mm. So thank you for uh, for coming up with the show, show idea. Um, that's dope. And then uh, who's on my mind? So who's on my mind right now is the 9,500 plus uh, folks that are in Texas seeking asylum, the Haitian uh, refugees that are seeking asylum, they're on my mind right now. Yeah. Um, and they should be on everybody's mind. Uh, seeing some of those graphics in terms of, um, you know, uh, people on horseback with whips, uh, trying to corral human beings, uh, definitely reminiscent of slavery. And then when you have uh, the Biden administration coming in and saying, you know what, uh, we're going to ban horses, but we're not going to ban the activity, then you know you got a goddamn problem. So that that's what's on my mind right now. Yeah. And then one of y'all, was that you, Ray? You posted like somebody purchased this and then someone else, somebody put in a, submitted a, a purchase order for that. And then somebody uh, approved like having bullwhip. Somebody had posted that. Um, and it was just like, yeah, like that's, that's nuts. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Cole, what you got? How you doing? What are you up to? And who and what is on your mind? Man, I'm good, man. Happy to be here. Uh, like I said, just been, like I was saying off camera, just been really focusing and doubling down on my work and what I do. And you know what I'm saying? Just, just keeping my head, and into what I got going on. I'm not worried about what nobody else got, got going on or what they doing. Um, another, so two of our reports have come out that have been recently uh, embargoed. So the, the last one that just came out, I'm really proud of, it's called The Importance of Black-Led Charter Networks uh, from the Voices of Black Students. And there's just a lot of amazing findings in there. And above the things that students talk about directly, they talk about, uh, you know, when they compared it with the other systems, the schools that they went to, they talk about having higher academic rigor and results. They talk about being more prepared for college and career. They talk about being able to have somebody that they're looking up to and kind of believing in themselves more because they see themselves reflected in a leadership position. Uh, and when I did this with some of those leaders, some of them, a few cried. And uh, mm. but but they just didn't realize how much students were watching them. And I just think it's something that's really dope for any black educator, regardless of what what type of school you you, you teaching in and, and just or, or that you're leading and that folks are always looking. So um, I got the link in here. I'll share it out with everybody. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what's on my mind. And just a few other things that I'm working on and writing. And also just finally, the the the, the fellas from the Common Grounds that I do with my Latino brothers. Uh, and we're, we're, we're going to change that up. But it's kind of inverted how we do things here. Like that's you know, we tried to build that out to be a consultant group first. So it's just been really cool, man. Like they both running some really amazing things. And in Texas, is just a different place. So one of them cash run school in Texas. So just learning those politics has just been really interesting. So that's what I'm thinking about and what's been on my mind, man. Thanks for asking. That's what's up, bro. Uh, uh, Breezy, uh, the Beige, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what's on your mind, bro? Uh, 
so I'm uh, I'm living in my blessing as every week when I say that um, I'm living in my uh, I'm living in my appreciation for God that I have shelter, food, water, water, uh, um, resources, work that I care about uh, and, and things that I'm doing in life that I care about. Uh, what's on my mind? Same thing. I, I think you hit it, Ray, on the head. You know, um, that, that situation at the border is a wake up call for us with this new administration. Charles Blow has a good article out about the audacity of, of the Biden presidency right now. And at the beginning of that article, he starts out with, let me just preference this by saying all the things I need to say up front, which is, of course, this was a better decision than four more years of Trump. Of course, this there has been good things coming out of this. So now that we get that out of the way, let's get to the part where we start holding this presidency accountable for uh, for what it does with black folks. And uh, I have to tell you what I saw at the border. The Haitian folks looks a lot different than flying entire groups of Afghan uh, refugees here and. I don't know. It was a different outcry when it was kids in cages, but now that it's whips and horses on black skin and black bodies, it feels a little different. So maybe this is time that we start renegotiating our contract with the Biden presidency. But that's it. That and the eight million black children, as always. Mm. That's on my mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna uh get this like this sister was on um not too long ago, and she was saying, "What's on your mind?" Oh, oh man, what's on my mind? I, well, I mean, definitely the the uh, if you juxtapose in Philly and New Jersey, like just how the, the uh, Afghan refugees um, were were flown in, you know, I've uh, some of the folks who you know uh, in our community have been down in the airport supporting them, getting meals. You know, what I mean, just a reception, the governor of, of uh, New Jersey was like, oh yeah, you know, we're opening up for 500 folks. Philly is like, oh yes, yeah, welcome. And then I'm looking at the, you know, the black folks in this hemisphere. Um, and it's, it's not new how they're being treated, right? You know, but it's uh, a consistency. And, uh, and it reminds me of like, when people even talk about immigrants or asylum, for some reason, dark skinned people are left out of that conversation, <laughs> you know, uh, with immigration or refugees and, and um, and folks seeking asylum. And it's 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 always this Trump is the one who said, oh, they're from shithole countries. But you can see that that's the American mindset, <laughs> you know, like how 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 they advance support. Um, all of that is just a consistent, consistent, um, you know, uh, paradigm based on race and anti-blackness. And, and you see that that's just a, a consistent thing. So we been talking about, oh, yes, the earthquakes. Oh, yes, the uh, the assassination. Oh, yes, this. But we really don't care. You know, enough for enough for a soundbite, enough for their news. Um, but not not really trying to make that. Uh, uh, yeah. Naomi is saying, right. I did not know that the lowest uh, U.S. immigration approval rate like, you know, that that's really, really telling. Not shocked. I'm not shocked that uh, 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 folks from a black country would have would have that uh, distinction. Um, not surprised. Not surprised at all. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the, my mother is on, on my mind, you know, my parents, the community, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, September 21st was her. It's crazy. My birthday is on the 14th and she passed on the 21st. Right. So we actually had a birthday celebration a week before. And then immediately a week after is when she transitioned. So that's always, you know, and on birthdays, like, you know, I was I've never been a person to celebrate myself. Oh, yeah, my birthday. And I'm going here and I'm doing this and throw me a party. I've always been like, you know, just really reflective. And <laughs> why am I here? And who who was, uh, you know, who did I pain coming through, you know, your mother, right? Like, you know, and even upbringing sometimes growing up, you know, sometimes that was, uh, you know, brought pain. But um, so she was definitely uh, on my mind a lot this, uh, you know, this week and just hoping to continue, you know, what they pour into you, making sure that you're trying to pour some of it out to, to other folks. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, and uh, as far as like what we've been up to, really excited about a report that we did um, that really talks about the culture uh, in schools that are necessary for uh, black people to feel supported. So if you know, a few years ago, Teach Plus and Ed Trust did a uh, really valuable report um, that said, if you listen, we will stay. And it talked about 
how mm-hmm. teachers of color will, would stay. What, what do they need to, how can they feel respected, right? You know, how do they not get a, a bullwhip and a horse, you know, uh, experience while they are uh, educating children in schools? Um, and so we did a follow-up uh, at the center uh, in partnership with Teach Plus, where uh, they were able to pull and interview 100, over 100 uh, black educators and really ask them some, you know, two specific questions, but basically getting at what's the type of culture necessary to make this a space where you can be whole, where you can show up authentically, where you can show up and feel valued and respected, um, which ties into why, uh, you know, if you listen, which is a part of it, you, you have to listen to hear and understand. So um, that that's coming out this week. So excited about um, about that report. I think it'll continue to allow folks who are interested, who are committed to create school improvement plans that include uh, retention of uh, educators of color, but very specifically black educators. So, um, and speaking of that, you know, there's, I think that's a, a really good transition to what we want to talk about this uh, this week. And Ray, I'm going to be leaning on you a lot, man, because I, I think how how you were talking about last spring and in the summer about preparing for this year. I think that's very different. Um, and how you were talking about learning and stuff. I remember you were talking about like, Hey, you know what? There's some schools and districts, they're doing stuff. I'm going to tap into that and learn. And I'm going to apply it and I'm going to do what our team is doing. I'm going to merge it together and create a plan. So we read, uh, I shared an article out um, that I read that a uh, reporter, local reporter in Philly, Kristen Graham wrote. Um, and it was also consistent with what I saw uh, on Twitter a few places where it just said educators were exhausted and it was September. Like, so m- maybe 20 days, 25 days of instruction of in school, right? We think of a month, but you got, you know, eight days of weekends, um, eight weekend days in that month. So you're talking about 22 days in a month that are our school days. We had a couple holidays as well. In most in a lot of districts, right? There were a couple of Jewish holidays. There was Labor Day, like those kind of things. So maybe let's say let's just say 30 days of instruction, 30 days with children and people are like, yo, I'm ready to bounce. I am tired. I'm exhausted. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm sad. And I was just like, holy crap. Like it broke my heart to read it, you fellas. I, mean, it bro- I was just like, if they're feeling that, what do students feel? And then what happens in November, right? Like we've all seen that chart, like, right? Like in this time it's still supposed to be like, you know, feel good, honeymoon, right? And then it gets, it gets stressful before the holidays, then the holidays come and then people feel this rejuvenation. And then that's not happening this year. It's a whole new curve. So I'm gonna start with you, uh, Ray. Like reading that, hearing about it and on Twitter, like what are you, before we get into like what you did differently, I want to just get everybody's reaction to hearing that, knowing that we have children and people who we love have children in schools. And this may be the climate and culture of what's happening right now. Bro, um, man, thanks for the segue. Um, Honestly, uh, the first sentence kind of just threw me off, man. Yeah, man. And it made it an even more difficult read. So the first sentence reads, uh, with 37 students in her windowless classroom, Cheryl McFadden can't keep kids three feet apart. And so for anybody that's listening, uh, new regulatory standards uh, admit, um, suggested by the CDC is to keep kids three feet apart, which is different from how it was last year when it was six feet apart, right? So giving you a little bit more space in terms of like packing kids into the classroom uh, in order for kids to be uh, in person, right? And so really important to talk about this in-person piece because, you know, just in our own, in my own experience, uh, we had our K to five and they were uh, in person for the majority of the year. And then we had our six to uh, ten, and they were um, virtual for uh, for 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 more of the year than our our K five. And then w- when the standardized test came back, you could see from the results that uh, the kids that were in person or the kids that were taking uh, being online serious it impacted how they performed on standardized tests. That's one thing. And so then the next thing is. Nobody should have 37 kids in their class. I don't give a shit where you are, 
right? I don't care what country you're in. I don't care if it's a third world country. Nobody should have 37 kids in their classroom, right? And then um, to also have a windowless classroom given COVID-19, like that's an extreme health hazard, right? That That's a, I'm going to call OSHA every day until this whole situation is resolved kind of thing for me. And so what I will say is this, right? Uh, what you're going to hear from a lot of, of, of teachers or a lot of people that are even from your area, Reef, you're going to hear, well, it's the district's fault and the district should have taken care of this. And while I 100% wholeheartedly agree, that it is the district's fault and the district should have taken care of this. There's things that you need to do as a human in order to take care of yourself, right? Given the fact that the district hasn't stepped up uh, in order to take care of things. And so just because the district didn't do what they needed to do is not gonna make this virus be less deadly for you, right? And so going out and getting uh, getting an air circulator or something that, something that some kind of ventilation system that you could purchase on your own, that's gonna be a really good investment for you if you want to live life for a long time, right? And so maybe there's some way you write it off on your taxes. Maybe there's some way that you rationalize in your mind that you had to make this payment uh, on a product that the school district should have taken care of. But at the end of the day, you're going to be alive. And so uh, my advice to anybody that's uh, that uh, air purifier, yeah. So my advice to uh, anybody that's teaching in Philly that does not have uh, ventilation uh, in their building, go purchase an air uh, purifier and, uh, and and send, send me the receipt, and and I will uh, send you a portion. Because uh, you know how many teachers are Philly, bro. Well, and, and this is one thing. I at least I heard that there were a lot a of us. A portion. Yeah. I mean, it's eight thousand folks. Like, yeah. I mean, Listen, like, Sharif, I agree just, with Ray. I'm agreeing with Ray, though. I'm going to agree here with him. People should send him the receipts. <laughs> I'm going to support my brother. That's right. Send him the receipts. But, I mean, I, I am hoping that the ventilation piece. I know that was something that they were working on. Um, you know, over the break and stuff. I, I have no idea, like where you know where it landed. Hopefully, that's you know a hundred percent. Have have that. I know they were initially with fans last year, and then they were really working on HVAC systems. The window thing, bro. I mean, sadly, um, a lot of windows in the district are actually bolted shut. If they have those old heavy windows, you know, unfortunately, we had a kid that became an amputee because one of those windows fell on him. Right? Mm. Like these are like super heavy elementary school kid or middle school kid hand was out or something, but bang, you know, fell. And so they, I know, remember they started bolting. And when I started teaching, we had windows, bro, but they were fogged over because somebody thought that kids don't need kids and adults in school. They might just be distracted by sunshines and, and skies and clouds. Right. And so they were all fogged over. You know, we could open them at that time, at least the type of windows we had, but you couldn't see anything out of them, you know, if they were closed. Right. And so that was, you know, it was just crazy. You come in wintertime, it's dark, you know, it's dark all while you're in the building <laughs> and then you leave. man. it's like, unfortunately, just the, the physical conditions of, of so many buildings and the architects, like who do they get to create these architects um, or these architects create these plans? Uh Sorry, debate. I was about to call it. I'm like, wait, wait Chris, debate. Well, jump in here, man. Uh, that, just the. What did you think about as you were reading? Um, you know that that piece, and and where anywhere else? If you've heard from from educators talking about just what you know, last year I thought people talked about mental health a lot and making sure that they were going to fix that and understand that social emotional learning is going to be important for everybody. And now it's like. Something seems it went askew. Yeah, um, I think you and Ray on this podcast and on this broadcast are the experts on how to support teachers through very tough times. You you would see closer than I would or people on the outside what they need in terms of support to get through tough times. Mm -hmm. But here's my tough love in this discussion. 
because that's all I got for a discussion like this is there have been lots of tough times before and there will be tough times again. Whether or not we have enough tough people to meet tough times is a problem for the country as a whole. So some people are going to blow out like bad knees. Some people are going to wind their way through it. And some people are going to buckle up and do what they can because this isn't going to be the last tough time that we ever have in our lifetime. And lamenting about how tough it is isn't going to do anything for anybody. So that's one piece of tough love I have for our discussion. Another piece of tough love is not all things are happening the same in all, all schools. It's not bad everywhere around. Not everybody has the same situation with windows and air ducts and resources and number of teachers to classrooms and all of that. That's not the same everywhere. So in some schools, they're not, you know, you might be listening to this discussion saying, I feel bad for those people. I feel bad for those people. But this is a those people problem right now. In some communities, people have their their leaders on such notice about things. And they also have the resources to take their kids out and put them back in or do whatever they need to do on the side that it, the situation might be a little bit different. So Charles, uh, you know, having said this a million times around, like we're on our own, the those people are the on our own people actually need to start, start need to. And this is tough love, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. We need to stop just restating the obvious. Oh, you know, when America gets the, the flu, we catch pneumonia or whatever and all that type of nonsense and just start asking what you're going to do about it. I don't, I'm, I'm sick of hearing don't about how it, tough as a, it is. As a matter of fact. Well, I mean, like, listen, the government doesn't have children. People have children. Parents have children. Families have children. Your child is in one of these places. Things are going very wrong for them. Is it enough for you to sit around and say, like, oh, my God, I don't know what we're going to do or whatever, you know, or the system's, you know, bad or whatever. Teachers, the, if teachers are burning out and blowing out like bad knees right Right now, the most that you could possibly do for them is make sure that they have good partners inside and outside of the classroom. And one of those main partners is a parent. So when you just said the thing earlier about, you know, 37 kids in a classroom, I can show you some white classrooms with 40 kids or more in the classroom, but they're not having the same problem that this classroom that's mentioned in the article that you had shared earlier is having. And that's because you don't have a teacher who's completely burnt out because she's got, in some cases, 40 kids that are ready to learn and and ready to do what they got to do. And on the other side of those kids are parents who are about their business. So in some schools, you have parent or educators who feel like they're on their own. They shut that classroom door and it's just them with kids. And if they did call home or if they did need help or they did need assistance from an administrator, they're kind of on their own. And that's our fault. So that's all I got for us right now is like a little bit of tough love of like, you know, I, I can hear somebody in my ear right now. Well, Chris, you know, people got two jobs. No, they don't. Some people even have one job. Well, Chris, you know, people got all things going on. Yeah, they sure do. They sure do. Keep saying that. Tell me how many times when you say that it ends with a solution for that child who's being left behind. You can only preach at the system so much about what it's getting wrong or what it's not doing for your children and act like that's going to uh, result in some sort of breakthrough or solution before you're the fool. Right. So I agree that people are having tough times. I agree that there are parents that don't know the same thing that everybody else has. I know blah, 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 blah. I, I can hear it. So all my liberal friends don't you don't need to ping me on this. I already hear you. You're all up in my ear already. Oh, people got three jobs. That's a lie. They don't have three jobs. Well, people got trauma that they're carrying around. Well, cool. Just let them traumatize their kids for another generation. Fine. Well, you know, they come up, they they don't get treated the right way when they come to the building. It's cool. So just tell them don't do it then. So so let's just keep giving the bad advice. But I can tell you right now, it's a tough time all the way around. And there has never been a better time for parents to be the sole driver of what's going on for their kids. Because we can't keep preaching about how bad the district and the teachers and all that. And, and also, let me just stop on this, this one point. Because all that is true. The system is jacked up and your superintendent is probably jacked up and your principal is probably jacked up and your teachers are probably lesser certified and unqualified in some cases to be teaching your children. All those things are true. It ain't going to fix it by constantly restating it and and leaving your kids there as if it's going to change anything. Fire your leaders. Fire everybody. Right. Cause a cause a problem. Cause some trouble. And don't let me say it like it's easy because it's not. But God ain't giving you an easy problem right now. 
some of y'all are experiencing things that other parents aren't experiencing. That's all I'm going to say. So we could talk, we can awfulize this situation all day, all night, but I can show you some school districts right now that aren't having these same problems. They're having a different level of privilege problems mm. in other places. Yeah. That's all I got, man. No, no, I appreciate that. Cole, what, you know, particularly with your uh, conversation with families and, and students, has anything come up about, hey, you know what? Our mental health or how we're how we're being addressed or the conditions of buildings have any of that has that been a theme or pattern um in some of the reports in in indy oakland and and and, um elsewhere well i would say in every report we do mental health takes front stage because this is just a different generation and these young people have language for it right so every single report somebody is mentioning mental health and that was actually one of the things that students were pushing their leaders and other people reading the report to do was to have better training around mental health and to be able to see things earlier. But I think that has come up. I mean, I'm empathetic to the topic. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people that feel um, like, you know, really just tired right now. Right. But let me not all lives matter. We're talking about teachers. Uh, Yo, that's a really sad article and it just happens to be the re- that, but that's the reality for some folks and somebody got to echo um that's the reality for folks but um it's tough man but i think the way in which i look at my when i look at my equity meter right or like or or how i am kind of looking at this i go with students first <laughs> i go with their parents then you know in that community and then i go with the folks that's like somewhat protected by that system or has things in place or has a union that they can go to or have some representation uh i've been in meetings actually i've been in meetings with one of y'all and they got a call in the middle of the meeting saying that there's been uh like covet tracing that has to happen and this is what's going on i've had parents get called home from work because something happened at the school and now they got to scramble because they don't have, you know, like everybody don't have systems in place to kind of go get their kid. Right. My point is that everybody is really, really struggling right now. And some people got more resources to deal with it than other people do. And my heart and where I kind of stand is kind of going out more to those folks that don't have a recourse, that don't have other things that they can do that can't just, they don't have a type of job where they can just leave in the middle of the day and go get their kid, you know? So if it's like this for these folks and these teachers that I value and that I care about, hopefully they can, you know, get the things that they need and advocate and, and, and get, you know, get some support. But if it's that, if it's bad like that for them, what is it for their students? What is it for those parents that's in those places? Um, and when you talk about a place like Philly, and I got a lot of folks there that I do work with, right? Like it's a lot of folks just trying to make it happen. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to be empathetic to the whole pie, but there's also levels to this you feel me so there's a there's a hierarchy of empathy Mm -hmm. there's like a and you're you're placing the children at the the top of the hierarchy of empathy because you're empathetic to all of them absolutely to everybody yeah but i mean the adults are a couple of rungs down some of the adults are a couple of rungs down in your your I, I know that if it gets too bad in that place that there's recourse for that teacher that had that pays union dues i know there's recourse I don't know if there's recourse for those kids. I don't know if there's recourse for those families, families at which when we call home and tell you this happened and you can't get there. Like I was a social worker. Sometimes I got to do wellness checks or welfare checks on a parent that may not be responsive because the state has sent something home. You know what I mean? Like there might be somebody that's going to get investigated around that stuff. Yeah. Is there a limit to your empathy and for the rest of the fellows, too? I mean, do do you ever get tired of the awfulizing as the main strategy for discourse on these things. Um, like, I mean, I, I, it just feels like you don't win any battle by, by living in the awful, like in terms of your, your solutioning, you know, I, I, I'll I, say, I'll, I'll go quick and I'll throw it to the rest of these fellas. Cause again, like you said, Ray and reef are more of the experts around this, around teachers and they, they, they should be in the spotlight. So let me say this and, and shut up and get out the way. Um, I'm not the good friend to call if you just want to complain. Yes. Like I'll listen the first yeah. time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The next time we have this conversation, I want to talk about solutions or whatnot. Now I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. There's anything wrong with mm-hmm. wanting to just mm-hmm. get stuff out. Sometimes people mm-hmm. just say things that just want to be heard. I'm saying that I am not a good person for that. And it's very tough. I've heard this story before. I've heard, like I've hearing about people being exhausted. It's a lot of people that's exhausted right now, though, that don't have those type of benefits. And I'm not I don't want to do that. I don't want it to sound like that. But again, my mind instantly go 
knows well how if you feel like this how are these kids getting treated how are they feeling what's going on at home how are their parents feeling because we're not talking about rich schools we're not talking about people that work in places with affluence right we're talking about people that's like in the struggle that's in that trap so that's kind of where I'm just trained to go there but I'm, I'm gonna shut up and get out the way for the Sharifs and for the Rays on this one I mean, I, I, I want to hear from Ray because I think, Ray, I want you to tie in with some of the things you were thinking about last year for fall 2021. I'll just say I think it's a balance. I, th- I think we have to continue to to point out what's happening. I think we have to elevate the experiences that people are and it may, that people are having in schools, you know, in districts. And, and that may it may start off as a complaint. And no, I'm never content with sitting there like it's not a you know you sit in the bathtub too long you're going to start itching and the water's cold and the water's dirty (laughs) um and so i look at it like that like yes you may sit in it for a minute but you know and it goes back to what you had mentioned you quoted uh cole saying like we're on our own but you don't have to be on your own if you can build and organize right we're not outnumbered we're we're out organized as as uh you know kwame would say right and i think this is a a number we're outnumbered. You think we're outnumbered? I don't think oh, yeah. we're outnumbered. Yeah, we hella outnumbered. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Hell yeah, we way too. <laughs> <laughs> what movie you watching, bro? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. We're 13% of the population. Hell yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not just talking about I'm not just talking about like population wise. Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, unless unless you're going to a very specific city, you know, um, state and usually in the in what do they call it, the black belt down south. Yes. And I think that's not the only ones who can empathize on behalf of of children. And, you know, I I was surprised, you know, like 37, like, and and it's a shame because I'm so accustomed to it that I didn't even I didn't even blink. And I'm glad you lifted it up because I know in in Philly, it was always like this leveling thing. So when I was a teacher, sometimes I might have four in the start of the year until they do this leveling. And I don't remember all the behind the scene mechanics that had to happen. It was some of it like, oh, we got to see who, you know, how many kids show up or we don't know. And so if they come, then you'll lose a teacher and they'll be sent over there and then kids will be shifted around. And like, it was always all of that kind of stuff. And so in the fall, like the first month or so, there's no telling how many kids I would have. Right. And so um, and it, I'm, I'm glad you wrote it. It is abnormal. Like it, it's a uh, but you know what's crazy? I remember once uh, a, a educator, uh, they were a principal supervisor. They shared an article when, you know, this was when I was in a classroom or, or right afterwards. And they were like, well, there was a study that showed that, you know, uh, you can have up to 50 kids in a classroom. It doesn't impact instruction. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And I was just like. I feel you. I hear you. And nah, <laughs> like, nah, like that's that's not. um, And, and you know, somebody asked but early, on that like, point, though, I just want to say, like, I don't know where y'all come down on that, though, because I can show you a classroom that's over 40 kids in it. But if you've got 40 cooperating kids that are into peer learning and ha- have peer study circles and all that type of stuff or whatnot, that's a little bit different situation than you have a person who's overwhelmed in a classroom where things ain't necessarily working out. And listen, I, I want to keep, go ahead. Y'all go ahead. No, no, I don't keep being on the same I'll, thing. Let me, let me color success it a little Academy bit. Success Academy does not have 40 kids in their classroom. I'm not talking hurt. about Success Academy. I'm talking right. about, I'm no, talking I mean, about I've, I've a, a white, I'm talking about a white, more affluent college, uh, a school full of college college bound kids in a regular district high school. And there's a high school that's only two miles away that has class sizes like 11 to 20 because nobody wants to go there. And those ones that are going to the other school where they have 40 plus won't leave it for a million dollars. They wouldn't leave and go over to that other school across town because there's two very different things happening in the the same city. And I should just be specific. In Minneapolis. Learning is happening in one and not the other one. There's a big difference in, in between North Minneapolis and Southwest Minneapolis. That's all I'm going to say. And, and, and you will have parents that won't leave a school that has 40 some kids, including some kids sitting on the floor in the classroom in one school to go over to the school that's not just a few miles away, maybe three miles away, where there's a high school where the class sizes get down to like, you know, 11 to 20 or something like that, because the school only has 400 kids in it in a high school built for 1600 kids. You get all the small classroom you want there. What? Go ahead, trans- transfer. Go ahead, do it. I, hey. Open invitation. Do it today. Chris, you know what Let's I hear see. you saying? You know what I hear you saying? I hear you saying that we need to have another Minneapolis live show. That's what I hear you saying. Y'all do need to come back. Y'all do need to come back because you can hear me. Listen, Uptown Minneapolis, y'all can hear me. I hear it in my voice all the time. Uptown? You know, but but I'm... Uh, 
I want to come back to y'all, but I just want to say the only reason I'm beating up on this is because my focus is usually parents, families and students. And if I hear this thing, like y'all know, I'm not always on the teacher's empathy train. But if they are saying we are having a tough time and we need support and we're in a, a global pandemic and having a national problem, the best partners right now to really step up. And double their work is parents. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care how many jobs you work in. I don't care what you got going on. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's bad. It's been bad. It's going to be bad. That's just what we got right now. And if, if, if the people who are in charge of your children for five hours, six hours a day are like, man, listen, I'm, a, I'm mental. I'm about to have some problems here. Blah, blah, blah. That's still your child's teacher. So where are you? And some of those teachers will tell me privately because they're not going to say everything publicly because y'all know how this goes. This would be a whole lot easier if uh, I could get some of my phone calls returned when I'm having a problem or if I could get some support on the other side. Usually I'm not the one to hold up that mantle, but I'm telling you right now, every adult who is connected to a child, parent, teacher, educator, whatever, should be stepping up and doing double time. I can't say that it's happening. I just can't say it. Look, I, I mean, you, there's a lot to unpack there, and I, I really want to get to raise uh, faith. What I will Y'all say, move on without me. Go ahead, move on. <laughs> no, no, no. What, move. I, what I what I will say is, yes, everybody's going to have to step up, and like I can't. It's yes, it's the school, and many of these parents are also working in institutions that are even more oppressive adjacent to schools or far away from schools, like whatever it is. And like, and, and there's, there's other things going on, right? Like we, we have ESSA money, right? And, and mm-hmm. there are districts that say, mm-hmm. I don't know how to spend it. I don't know how to use it. I don't know. You know, I, th- I think reports are due in, in November or like at least, you know, uh, projections. And there are folks around the country who are like, We've never had this money before, so we don't know what to address, what to solve, how to involve voice. How, like they've never done any spending at this scale. And it's like, what was that movie with uh, Richard Pryor back in the day? He had to spend a Bruce, million dollars. Brewster's Million. Brewster's Million. Yeah, Brewster's <laughs> Million. It, it, feels like, it feels a little bit like that. You know what I mean? Uh, Listen, if y'all looking for a humor, that was a that was kind of funny, if I recall. You know, much funnier than some of the stuff that y'all been talking about these days. But anyway, right. I, you know, I, I, I teed this up a couple times because I'm really, you know, it just kept flashing back in my mind as I was reading the article. I'm like, you know what? Ray was talking about this last year, you know, both for preparing, like if there was going to be some kind of spring hybrid and that type of thing. And you were in session, too. Right. And so if you were experiencing some of this, you wouldn't have been able to do last year, let alone this fall. So I just want to give you the floor. If we can give him the the, the screen, you know, he, he done, uh, you know, trimmed his eyebrows and everything. Give him the full screen. Let, let's hear let's hear Jay Crew really talk about. He, uh, he, he controlled the screen. He got it. OK. All right. Yeah. He like, I ain't going to do that now. You don't put me on the spot. But go ahead. Right. Floor is yours. So, man. It's, so you can come at it from a lot of different angles. So I, I kind of resonate with what Chris was saying. And so what you'll have is you'll have in the teaching profession, like, Anybody, and this is not to be highly critical on teachers, but this is just giving y'all the real. When I was a teacher, I tried to do it as least as least as I could, but like surrounding myself with my colleagues, there's a lot of complaining that happens in teaching, right? And so you have to now decide if 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 the complaint if the complaints are are with merit, right? Or if it's just like, all right, well, I just hate my job, I hate my life, or whatever it is. Right? I hate the kids. I hate the kids. Yeah, whatever it is. Right. And so and so what I found this year. Right. Because like when I was reading this article, it, it, it definitely it, it, it hit home for me because I had had teachers that were saying the same thing. And so in my mind, I'm like, what the hell you mean? You haven't you you haven't done nothing. Like, what are you what are you talking about? Right. Because like I'm always on go. Right. And so what it did was it forced me to kind of it forced me to kind of embrace a level of empathy that I'm not necessarily used to in terms of like handing out and being empathetic. Right. Because like my mindset is always students first. What do these students need? We need to give it. We need to give these students everything we got at all times or whatever. Right. But I had to take a step back in order to say to myself, you know what, if these if if, if the teachers are not able to kind of 
if the teachers are not able to give their all, then the kids aren't going to get their all anyway. And so I had to start digging deep in terms of like, well, what is causing you this level of exhaustion? Right. Like what kind of things that we can can we do as administrators to take load, take a load off of what you're doing in order to kind of help compensate for the things that are occurring that, that are that are overwhelming you. Right. And so, you know, again, one of the things that Chris touched upon was the parent outreach piece. Right. And so one of the benefits that we have is that we have excellent relationships with our parents. And so we don't have many behavioral problems. As a matter of fact, within the last I say five years, we may have had two fights in the whole school. Right. That's just like how we give it up in terms of like five what, years, what our expectations are in terms of how we're running our school and what we expect from students. And so since that bar is so high, they know that like that's not what we're going to do. And so what I have, what, what I was able to fortunate enough to do a couple of school visits in the city to kind of see uh, some of the things that were happening uh, in, in New York City. And so that is how I was able to kind of talk some of my teachers down. Because I'm like, listen, what you're going through is tough, but what you're going through is nothing compared to what like other people are going through. Right. And so just having those real conversations with teachers in terms of like, all right, well, here are some of the things that we can do on our end. Here are some of the things that you need to do on your end. Because right now you're running this race like it's a sprint and it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. And so, yes, you're going to be burnt out. We're all burnt out, but we still got to give everything that we got for our kids. We need to rebound. We need to think about this together, about how we're going to approach the situation together. We need to involve parents. We need to involve all stakeholders. And then with that, we need to come into these situations solution oriented. Right. And so if you come to me with a solution, I can help you. If you come to me just identifying a problem, anybody can identify a problem. Right. So like, what is the solution? And so that's what I charge my teachers with, like and my administrators as well. Like, don't come to me with no problem. Like anybody, can, uh, anybody can figure that shit out. Anybody can figure out that there's a problem. Come to me with a solution. <laughs> right. Come to me saying that, OK, I've identified the problem and here are some solutions. Right. What solution can you now live with? Right. Wait, so wait, that, wait, wait, right. Right. So yeah. instead of hiring problems, you know, like you're saying, like you want to hire problem solvers. I think you should just put a bunch of problem identifiers on your payroll. Like that's much, that's a much better investment. You'll be well informed. They can just point, 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 and then go home, right? Like, yeah, that you ain't down with that? Not at all, bro. But like, if you, but if you think about, if you think about this profession, right? And if we're talking about it and we're being real about it, there's a lot of people that just identify the problem. Right. There's a lot of people that have that have uh, amassed massive Twitter followings based off of their ability to identify the problem that exists in their school. Right. And so you'll have you'll have uh, uh, Twitter teachers that come on. They're like, this is what's happening in my school. Right. And this is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. And then you'll hear a lot of other people or you'll see a lot of other people that are extremely problematic in terms of how they approach the work. And so now you have people that have like 15,000 followers or whatever, 14,999 of them think just like them. Right. And so and then when you when you say anything that differs from how they think, then all of a sudden you hate teachers. No. I'm just going to keep you honest, right? Because I, I know I know it from all sides. I know it from the public school side. I know it from the private school side. I know it from the teacher side. I know it from the administrator side. And what you're saying is bullshit. And I'm going to call you out on it, right? But not everybody's willing to do that because, bro, they got... There's a lot of things happening in terms of teachers and the and the power that unions yield and the powers that people... Would teachers have social power. Yeah. They, are, they, they are a privileged class of, of workers in the United States. And, I, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm going to hate to say this because, you know, I understand how this could be heard differently, but it is a profession as a as a person on the outside. I can't tell the difference between this tough time and a tough time three years ago or four years ago, because teachers are in a constant state of awfulizing the work that they do. It's always all I've ever heard from teachers is how they're burnt out and how they don't have enough resources and how times are bad and how kids are bad and how principals and teachers are bad and administrators are bad and politicians are bad and funding is bad. That's all I've ever heard. 
It's a it's a occupation that constantly is on. The sky is always falling with this. So I suspect that they're having a tougher time today than they ever had, because that would make logical sense. We're in a tougher place. But I'm just saying, as a person who consumes the voice of teachers for many years, I have heard a privileged class of people who are college educated and middle class teaching kids that are really catching hell who have always sounded the alarm that everybody and everything outside of themselves in their classrooms is bad and going wrong. The politicians don't know what they're doing. The principals don't know what they're doing. The superintendent don't know what they're doing. The testing companies don't know what they're doing. The people who create the tests don't know what they're doing. The food service workers don't know what they're doing. The parents don't know what they're doing. The students can't be trusted to do like to sit and just mind their manners in class. God damn, who, who, well, well, can we, now that we have identified every other person in the universe and the galaxy, can we talk about your classroom now? Can we talk no. about you? No, no, the we can't do no. that. The answer hey, to it is no. Well, wait a second. What about this research that shows that there's bias in your classroom? We don't want to talk about the talk bias about in our classroom. Yeah, exactly. Well, what about the research that tells us that y'all don't know what you're doing? You don't know how to teach reading? No, we don't want to talk about it either. Let's keep talking about the programs, the politicians. Everybody's getting it wrong, except for an 80% white profession of white women mostly who are college educated and live in the suburbs don't live even in the communities where they are teaching kids but they're the ones who are consistently year over year the ones who are the victim and catching hell and it's so hard for them and goddamn, it probably is hard because does anybody want to be with your children all day long right like I, I, I will admit it's probably a hard job but so is being an EMT and so is being you know like a, a nurse or a police officer like lots of things are hard. Really? You know? Listen, listen, listen. You know what? The Taco Bell drive-through is probably guess, bad. We got a guest and enjoy something, but before we transition, that was a terrible take, <laughs> and I can't disagree with it at the same time. So much of it, right? Like I, I'm just cringing. Like I, what, bring, what? I don't want to bring because I, I want to give the guest the opportunity to disavow. So oh. I want to bring her in while you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen. We, I think we should have a follow-up conversation about this. Uh, yeah. Most definitely. Because I think it's it's I think you bring you raise a lot of things and it's never been a just system. Right. So two things have to be, you know, um, said and the biases and all that stuff at 100 percent. But listen, I, I was excited, you know, to really give at least a little bit of time. And sorry, uh, Miss Joy, it's not as much as I originally promised. <laughs> um, but. We're glad you, we're glad you're here. And so I just want to introduce uh, uh, Sister Joy, because I think this is a part of like the collective work and responsibility, like as a community, uh, you know, folks are doing things and we want to use this platform to help elevate it, give them, um, you know, we frequently have uh, guests because we want them to share what they're doing. So Joy Southers is a casting associate for the upcoming self-titled biopic about Bayard Rustin, a feature, mm. well, it's called Rustin, and it's a feature film about Bayard Rustin being produced by Netflix. She's originally from Pittsburgh, from PA all day, baby. Bird, and baby. she lives in the DMV now and works freelance TV and film production. I'm really excited to have Sister Joy on. Please share, I'm glad you have your, uh, that's your Twitter handle? Instagram. Instagram. All right. That's your Instagram handle. Glad glad you're here. And please share a little bit what's not in the brief bio that I that I shared with you. Um, and then we got a whole lot of uh, burger families out there that that's also listening. So I'm sure they'll be glad to hear that. But please share what you're up to, what you're doing, and particularly about this film that's coming out. Okay. Um, so right now, well, we're casting the film. Um, it's called Rustin. We're actually filming it in Pittsburgh and in D.C. So the majority of it is actually being filmed in Pittsburgh, which is interesting because that's where I'm from. So I've kind of been working on outreach in both cities. Don't act like you ain't pull strings to make it get filmed over there. Don't don't, don't act like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I've been able to use my outreach contacts to help them pull people together in Pittsburgh, which is very, it's a challenge because there's not as many black people in Pittsburgh and all the black people know each other. So it's, it's been a challenge there, but we've been able to pull organizations together. I'm like the cultural trust. Uh, I mean, the August Wilson Center and um, different 
organizations to really help bring the people out, the Jazz Fest. Uh, we use that to recruit people. So uh, in D.C., it's been a challenge for me, not a big challenge, but a challenge because I don't have that that many uh, connections and outreach in D.C. I've only been here for two years. So this has been like an experience for me, um, connecting with new organizations and new people. Um, so it's, it's been really exciting. Um, but we've gotten a lot of submissions. We've gotten over 4,000 submissions here in D.C. alone, which is fantastic. When you say submissions, what do you what do you mean? Like for um, the casting? Yes. Yes. For extras. Yes. For background extras. Um, so we got 4,000 submissions. But the challenge that we've run into is that most of those submissions are from uh, non-black people. Uh, and oh, so it's like the teacher profession. <laughs> All right. Cool. But it's about Bayer Rustin. All right. I feel you. Yeah. And that's really, and it's really nice to see that turnout. Um, they're very supportive, but those numbers just, um, it would be nice if they were the other way around. And so my goal that I've been tasked with is to help. Um, we need more black men just to be frank. Uh, so we need 100 to 200 black men. Um, and we're recreating the iconic March on Washington. Um, so it'll be shot like around the Lincoln Memorial. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, yeah, it's um, so it's paid. It's a paid uh, extras gig. It's two hundred fifty dollars a day. And so we're shooting October 5th through the 8th. And um, we also pay seventy five dollars for a fitting for a costume fitting and seventy five dollars for individuals to take COVID tests. Um, so, yeah, and we're shooting the fifth through the eighth. And so we're taking submissions right now. Um, if you go to I think uh, I might have shared the flyer with you guys, but it's um, Rustin hyphen DC at roselockcasting.com and uh, roselock is R-O-S-E-L-O-C-K-E uh, casting.com and she's done like a lot of the big films like um, Avengers and Lovecraft Country and so she's really big in Atlanta um, and so coming up here was new for her you know coming to the north for the first time and so um, and then coming to DC and being in Pittsburgh so it's, it's been a challenge for everybody but it's been very exciting to see the turnout and um, I learned a lot about Barrett Rustin myself. Like, I can't believe I feel ignorant. Like I didn't know really much about him. And so the locals of, of DC have actually kind of given me information about him. And they're like, Oh, we know who Barrett Rustin is and, and they know so much about him. So that's really great to see. And um, everybody's really excited about it, but we just really need to get more black men uh, on set. So. Hold up. Let me audition right now. Hold up. <laughs> <laughs> you got the look. You Something got the look. Wrong with it. You got the look. You definitely should be there. <laughs> Chris, you're not going to jump in and you got the look. You ain't going to do that. That's, that's, that last no. time somebody said that, that's what you started doing. Um, so no, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Uh, yeah, Excellent. I'm not going to do that. And uh, I would like to. And now that song might be in my head for the rest of the night. I hope the story about Bayard tells. We should take this to a Freedom Friday show because I think that uh, I would hope that this story tells him in all his textures. Uh, I'm not a Bayard guy, but uh, but there would be some interesting things to talk about in his his relationship with Al Shanker uh, when Al Shanker was crushing the black community, uh, the black community of New York's intention to run its own schools, hire its own teachers and uh, do its own curriculum and all that. Uh, and I hope that anything would talk about Bear's role in helping Al Shanker uh, crush those communities that wanted to do that. That's a, it's a two hour movie. Crazy. It's got listen. History is complicated. History is complicated and complex. You got to tell uh, by Biopics uh, sometimes do a great job of all the textures and sometimes they don't like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like I think, you know, uh, Spike Lee did a great job with Malcolm years ago, but it took him three hours to do it. Warner Brothers tried to say no. Warner Brothers was like, no, nah, this needs to be an hour and a half. And Spike was like, hour and a half ain't going to cut it for, for Malcolm. You know, shout out to those so. black folks that ended up paying for it. You know, Bank that's right. Because that, Oprah, Prince, all of them. Yeah. Bill Cosby. Ooh, I'm not supposed to say that no more. Anyways, <laughs> Oprah, Prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the Obamas is paying for this one. I think they produce in this movie. Are they? From their production yeah. company. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I think I did read something. Netflix uh, gave them the bag, That's fam. Right. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Cool, cool, cool. Anyway. Now, Joy, you yeah. went to the Hill District area, right? Like, I know you started oh, yeah. there, right? Yeah, that's where I'm from. Okay. All right, all right. Well, Why do you go to Hill District? 
Come on, Hill. That's that was my hangout spot. My young boys down there, Pokey, Mark Kerr, all them. Yeah, you know I mean that, that's that's what what we do. So I'm gonna hit them up. Yeah, world. I'm gonna hit them up and make sure that they uh, fully support. But we got folks in the audience from the DMV area, so like the casting, it'll still be for both. So they'll say like, oh, I'm in the I'm in Allegheny County, so I can do it, or I'm in the DMV. Well, for Pittsburgh, I think they're pretty locked up for Pittsburgh. So I'm just focusing now uh, on D.C. So anybody in the DMV area that can work as a local, that's who um, that's who I want. Absolutely. But who called with Naomi? You know, Naomi know everybody in D.C. Nay, nay. <laughs> she yeah, is, I think she is. I saw, yeah, yeah. I saw her uh, comment. So we'll, we'll, we'll connect you offline. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for coming to Kick It Wiz. We appreciate you. Uh, anything that we could do on the backside, let us know. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And I, I hope you all sign up. <laughs> Thank you. All right. all right. Now, thanks a lot, Joy. All right. Look, we're at that time of the show, man. We're going to do uh, closing thoughts. All right. We're going to um, start off with Dr. Charles Cole III. Um, and then we'll whip around to the uh, beige and then close out with <laughs> soup. <laughs> no, nah, I, th- I think I think y'all covered it, man. I think I think, you know, like I said, em- empathetically speaking, I definitely understand and hear where this woman is coming from in this article. And it's sad. I actually think that that article can actually be written. Uh, I feel like that article could have been written two years ago, five years ago, whenever. Right. Because I think it's something that's been happening. I also work in healthcare, though. Right. Like I have like, you know, doctors and nurses. And I mean, you know, a lot of people like the, our country, our world is like exhausted right now. It's a, it's a it is a historic time. Uh, in this country. And there is a study that just came out that just said across the board, more people are depressed, more people are struggling. But you know, the group that's struggling the most is young people, it's kids, it's our babies, it's the people that's supposed to carry this stuff on. So, you know, I I would like to hear, like I said, some solutions. Um, I think a lot of times we get really comfortable and okay with just like the problems. And uh, if you can always complain without having to fix something, you should count the blessings in your life that it ain't really impacting your livelihood in that kind of way. So I'm sure we'll keep getting more articles about this. I'm sure there'll be somebody that says, I just don't understand, or this, that, and the third of being insensitive. But first off, I'm worried about those kids. I'm worried about their families and those people that don't have a union fighting for them, that ain't got that, that ain't sending demands, that ain't saying we're gonna stand out till this happen, and then they get that thing and then you tack on housing or whatever in the middle of a pandemic. I ain't forgot that either. You know what I'm saying? So it is what it is, man. Uh, I, I'm praying for everybody, and I hope that these babies and these families get what they need. That's what's up. Stuart. Yeah, you know, it's a tough one for me because um, educators are probably making legitimate claims right now. But I read an article like the one that you had there, and all I hear is from them in the article. I hear about the superintendent, about principals, and about teachers, and I sympathize uh, and try to empathize. I can't empathize, really. I really can't, because that's putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, and I don't know, know enough about their shoes. I can sympathize, which is different. That's a little different level. But I can definitely empathize with parents and with students, and their voice doesn't come through in something like that. It, to me, feels like, once again, it's it's a understanding of trying to understand how the teachers feel and and what they're facing. And I get it, man. I get it because that's the job that they do. But I'm tired. I'm really tired of the narrative. In this case, the most sympathetic that I can be is to say you shouldn't be having to do this alone by yourself. You should be having communities and other people doing their part and advocating for you to have what you need to teach well, for one, and advocating and bringing support to you and showing up saying, what can I do to help? Because one person leading a classroom right now who's about to blow out and and have what the the, the article kind of said, they're having end of year tiredness at the beginning of the year. Right. So whether you like them, don't like them, whatever, I don't care what you got going on. That can be good. You can't be sending your kid to that every day. So I, I, I can't say much more than that because I know what's going to happen. 
my my ears are going to get full of the same stereotypical things that we say. First of all, we pretend all of the poor people and all of the poor are in one circumstance and they all are equally awfulized and none of them have anything to offer or give. And they're they're the noble poor. Everyone is doing every single thing they possibly could be doing for their level of understanding or whatnot. That's just not reality. I'm sorry. I hate to. It sounds good when my liberal friends like to throw that in my direction, but I'm sorry, you can't help a people by lying about them. That's not true. That's not, we're not all doing all that we can from any of our levels of privilege or or lack of thereof. So anyways, I don't, I don't have anything good to say. The only thing that I can end, you know, on this is saying, I want to be sympathetic to what the educators are saying. They can't do it all alone. They don't own the kids and we can't keep, trodden down the progressive line of, of thinking where we just let people off the hook for what they should be doing. I don't care what you got going on in your life. The kids are number one. So teachers, parents, students, uh, principals, community members, clergy, nonprofit operators, everybody's got a role to play in getting out of this awfulizing situation and start coming to the table. What is your mayor doing? What is your city council doing? What's your school board members doing? What are the the philanthropies around you? What are they paying for right now? Who's bringing tables together to say how we can bring extra supports to teachers and to students right now, right? Like, because all the, the, the awfulizing shit is so old and tired and it's not a strategy for winning. Anyways, I'm done. I'm sorry. No, no, don't apologize. No, don't apologize. So I, I want to say a couple of things. So first off, I want to say um, not every teacher is a good teacher. I know that's going to be hard for some of y'all to hear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but not every teacher is a good teacher. Lies. Lies. Right? So, so and not, not every teacher that's rated as highly proficient is highly proficient. Right. So like if you're in a school and 99 percent of your staff is rated highly proficient, but yet 10 percent of your kids can read. I don't know how that parallel can coexist. Right. And so if we're just being honest. And so, you know, there's definitely a whole lot of uh, empathy that needs to go around for, uh, for, for 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 teachers. They're going through a lot, but everybody's going through a lot. Right. So like that empathy needs to be kind of like all encompassing in terms of like what the students are going through, what the parents are going through and what the administrators are going through. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times when you talk about what administrators are going through, then it becomes this 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 uh, this us versus them thing like this is there is no us versus them it's us and we are trying to help the kids together right and 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 the faster we can realize that and recognize that and put that as a part of the work to where it's like there is no teachers against administrators it's only teachers that are working with administrators to get kids to where they need to be to move the needle then you know that's when we'll continue to have these problems that we have in education but Listen, keep your mask on. Uh, if you a if you are a um, if you are a non-vaccinated teacher, uh, make sure you keep your mask on. Make sure you do all the things that you need to do. Uh, if you are a school system and you have non-vaccinated teachers, and I know we're gonna probably get, I'm gonna get some heat for this. Every teacher needs to be vaccinated. You cannot tell me that. And you can you can't say to me that in the best interest that I am coming with the with the best interest of students and and say I'm not gonna be vaccinated. Like I just don't think that, that shit makes sense. This is me personally going out on a limb and saying it. Yo, you may not agree with me, but I'm saying it. You don't agree with you. Didn't you just tweet yesterday that, that Cardi B is right or something like that? Hell no. Was it was it Cardi B? It, it was somebody. Nicki Minaj. And that's, not, and, that's, and that's not what I tweeted. That's what not I what you tweeted. Was, oh, all right. Somebody right. sent me and was like, tell your boy to stop uh, caping for Nikki. <laughs> there was a 15-year-old Nikki, and then there's a a 15-year-later a, a Nikki. No, something about their cousin and, and got vaccinated and, and uh, you know. Like, and his balls swole up. Yeah. And he can't like, have no more and all that and type he, of stuff. I could have yeah. swore they sent me a <laughs> screenshot like, yeah, she right or something like that. I'm I never like, I ain't touching this. <laughs> I was just like, I'm out. Don't text me no more. <laughs> Yo, so close us out, man. <laughs> First of all, listen, it was, it was um, I mean, I think it's a, a lot of, you know, you, you all brought a whole lot of issues that surface. And I agree. This stuff is just like we said, the issues that students face 
um, being last on on this, you know, on this uh, list. Uh, to receive empathy, to receive problem solving techniques, to receive support. That was pre-pandemic too, you know? And and so folks have to stop acting like this new. And so I was glad that you all surfaced that multiple times, that this has been an ongoing thing. And I want to speak, but y'all spoke about problem solving. And so I want to say that, but I want to specifically talk to principals, school leaders, and leadership teams within Mm -hmm. buildings. If you are a leadership team or a school leader and you are waiting for out, people outside of the district uh, to do things, that's a problem. I'm going to just give you a little story. I, re- I remember uh, at Shaw Middle School, our building was so old. It was built in the early 1900s. They still had the old wooden doors. And with the wooden doors were these, you know, copper doorknobs that wouldn't stay on. I mean, the, the, the grinds were just, jack- it was just a jacked up. And so over and over and over again, the doorknobs will fall off. That's a hazard. Teacher had to, would have to get a pin with the right shape to use it to open the door because there would be no knobs. The knobs will fall off. We'd file a report. We'd file, hey, we have 20 doors that need knobs in this building. They're getting to it. They're getting to it. They're getting to it. Now, I could have just kept following it. And when people say like, yo, this is a hazard, I say like, we followed it. I did my job. What we actually did, and this brings up something that, that uh, all of you said, and Chris, I think you really highlighted it. There were some there were some men, you know, because I, I never I was never in a school in my 26 years that we didn't have parents like, yo, what you need? So I was like, you know what I need? Who are the carpenters? Who are the handymen in this neighborhood? That's what we need. We I need some folks to help me fix these doors so that people aren't looking for something to try to open it because they have no doorknobs. Yo, bruh. Over a series of Saturdays and after school, these brothers came in and fixed doors in this building. And guess what? The union filed a grievance because oh, I was taking jobs away oh, Jesus. from the union Gee. workers. And See. I didn't give a shit. Grieve it. Really? Grieve it. You're going to be grieving it all the way because this is what's most important. I'm not waiting anymore. I filed it already. And guess what? In the meantime, we're going to get stuff done. So I just challenge anybody. And I'm not saying you can fix every single thing, but I do want you. And many of you are. I'm, you know, let's not say, oh, I am. I am. like, don't, don't be oversensitive. But and. Make sure you are pushing beyond and solving. Come together as a community mm. and solve as much as you can as possible. Because at the end of the day, that's what they're going to remember. Did he ride with us? Did she ride with us or did she not? Did she tell us like, oh, I, my hands are t-. like I none of my teachers ever heard me say my hands are tied. I'm like, yo, we better be like Houdini or somebody because <laughs> we getting out of this. It was tied. It ain't tied now. Do something. And as Chris Johnson as Keith Arrington, as Aaron Stark, as Miles Davis and I used to say when we broke our huddle, yo, don't be afraid to get fired on behalf of kids. You've been listening to the 134th episode of the Eight Black Hands. Don't just be problem identifiers, be problem solvers. Mm. We're looking out. Thanks, brothers. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Stay safe, stay strong, and keep pushing. Peace. You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecki, and Stewart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.